Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics. Thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Joe Lynch, and today's topic is the Far Eye Story with my friend Kishel Nahata. How's it going, Kishel? It's going great. Thanks, Joe. It's a pleasure to be here. I I just love the name, the Logistics of Logistics. <laughs> I'm so jealous you came up with that. I told you before, my executive coach came up with it, and I didn't like it, I, but I used it as a placeholder name i was like it's okay but it's not a good name and then everybody mentioned it to go that's a great name and then finally it went through my thick skull yeah ann was right so yeah my the very best executive coach that out there is ann holm and she picked it <laughs> thank you that's ann. great and maybe you want to just look at the other things that you don't like it <laughs> i know and and this start i started the logistics of logistics as a blog and really from the very beginning when we talked about this a little bit offline i feel like there's all these silos in our business. And there's very few people who get a chance to work across all of them. So you might be an expert at over the road and say, "I, but I don't understand blank. A friend of mine was sending me text messages last night saying, who can explain EDI to me really well? And I was like, uh, yeah, let me, let me think about that. But there's somebody, clearly, and that guy might say, but I don't know about blank and blank. And so this is the nature of our industry. It's just so big. It's a catch-all for a whole bunch of different industries. That is true. Anyway, Kishel, please introduce yourself and your company and where you're calling from today. Yeah. So I'm Kushal Lahata, co-founder and CEO of Farai. I'm actually dialing in from our uh, quarters in Chicago. We recently uh, built up a... We are originally, we originally started in India, and then we set up our global headquarters in U.S. as well, in Chicago. The journey for us started with actually... Like if you just look at right anything that we can see, like which which is a physical product, something that you can see, touch, and feel, can now be ordered online and can be delivered at home. The complexity that stays behind this, right? So maybe the logistics of getting products at home—that's super complicated. And then also you're dealing with customers who need it faster, who have anxiety, and who are price driven, who do not want to pay for the logistics as well. So this is the problem which we got super fascinated with. It's real complex. It's kind of touches each one of us every single day, if not more. So we thought, why not build a technology platform which can empower businesses, brands, and logistics services providers to actually get products delivered to customers' home in an efficient manner, in more sustainable, and in customer-centric. So we are essentially, in some way or the other, we are a delivery management platform which helps brands and businesses to get product at our home when we need it, lower cost, and in more sustainable fashion. Right. So, Kishel, I noticed the name of the company, is, again, is Far Eye. So, like, far away and, like, eyeball, right? So, how did you guys come up with the name Far Eye, speaking of business names? It'll be a similar story, I would say. Some of the things that we don't like sometimes become the right things to do as well. So I actually started directly out of my college. We were more fascinated with the problem. And one of the team members came up with this name, Farah. He's like, it's not really that exciting. Plus, we thought it's two words. We probably wanted one word and all. And then he explained the concept of it, right? You just want to see what's not visible or what's far from you. 
And that really connects with the problem you're trying to solve. Right. Because the biggest problem in logistics is you can't find it. You don't know what's happening on the ground. And the look, fact of the matter is when the shipments are on road, there's so many variables out there. There's weather, there's traffic, there's vehicle, there's driver, there's customer. So the biggest bottleneck is not knowing it. And that's where like three, four capabilities that's super core for us and which kind of combines with the name of FARI, helping brands with orchestration, real-time visibility, customer experience, and optimization. That's how FARI name. It didn't really came with what we were doing. It was someone in my team who kind of gave it. And then I didn't like it. I said, maybe something else. (laughs) And then everyone else said, this is such a nice name. Why don't you go ahead with that? So I think there's some value in that. I'll just throw this out there is I think initially when we had the ability to find a shipment, you know, I heard somebody say the number one, the number one question in our business is where's my stuff? And and then somebody pointed out the second one was where's my money? <laughs> but we'll talk about the first one. Visibility is super important, but then once you get that data, all of a sudden you go, oh, the, all this data about visibility is important. And then you, if you then when you start saying I can predict this, and then you start having all the data, and then bringing AI and some other tools against it, you go the visibility, which was so very important in the beginning, still important. But you start looking and going, it gets more valuable the more we collect of it. And it's, it, again, I think it's almost like a progression we're seeing. So so the far eye that you mentioned, it's not just for seeing where my stuff is. It's saying, how's my business running? How can I predict better, you know, and do a better Absolutely. job? Absolutely. I think I completely, and this, this one saying we have internally, Joe, and I kind of believe it completely. I think about a decade ago. I would say it was a it was a movement that every company needs to be a technology company. I think where we are, I feel every products company, specifically product company, needs to be a logistics company. Right. So I completely relate with you that it's not knowing where the shipment is, it's actually the commerce. Logistics is no more operations only or just a cost factor. It's actually a revenue factor right now. Delivery experience drives customer retention, it's driving reference. And there's so many studies and numbers about it. How much does one good experience cost versus one bad? And it's tremendous. I think it's lesser about what you deliver. It is important, but I think the good thing is now it's also important how you deliver. Yep, yep. We jumped right into it here, and I wanted to ask you a little bit about yourself. So you grew up in India, right? Correct. Tell us a little bit about your upbringing, and then when did you move here? So I actually moved to U.S. very, very recently, December last year, right in Chicago. I think that's the best thing because probably just looking at the weather, I think it just gets better from there. It doesn't get worse. <laughs> yeah. You, 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 you got to move to Chicago in in fall and you go, oh, my God, this is the perfect place. And then <laughs> I'm in Detroit about four and a half, five hours away, depending on the traffic. And uh, my kids used to always say, we're going to move to Chicago when we get older because we would go there quite a bit. They've been there hundreds of times. and It's a beautiful city. I said, I love Chicago. I said, but it's not any warmer than here in the wintertime. <laughs> so so where'd you grow up in India and where'd you, where'd you study? Yeah, so I grew up and started in New Delhi. That's essentially the capital. So I stayed with my parents. We were uh, middle class, lower middle class. So something's very clear that you've got to build it for yourself. And then schooling and college. I think I, So I had... So for my teacher specifically, it was very clear, 
either they will know me and they will like me or they will hate me. I was one of the students who will go into the class and I'll come with my questions and I want to know more and more and more about these things. So sometimes some of them like it and sometimes some of them don't. So that's how typically schooling has been. And very interestingly, uh, this I hear from my mom especially. So she tells me that there's never, like almost very rare that she has to wake me for school. School typically started for 7.30 a.m. for us. She's like, you'll get up at 5 a.m. and you'll just knock the door. I want to go to school. Let's get food ready. Let's get ready. And she's like, it's still two and a half hours away. And she's like, can you please go to bed? And then I'll yeah. come back again in 10 minutes. And like, I think time is already done. Can we get ready now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You you sound like a different kind of kid because most kids, you have to like practically beat them to get out of, the, out, out of bed and go to school. Also, sounds like you're a very curious kid and you're pretty brave to be upsetting the teacher. I, I always think about, we, we teach kids, and I was this way, usually, <laughs> until I was a teenager. You go to school and you're very obedient and you kind of do what you're told and uh, you want to make the teacher happy. And and then we, we, develop, we develop that way. And then you go, I just want to get out of school and uh, get a good job and I want to make my boss happy. And at some point you're like, hey, wait a sec. This isn't the way the world gets better by just wandering around being agreeable and making the boss happy. <laughs> you need you need some curiosity. You need to say, hey, there's a better way. And it sounds like you had enough of that to start your company. And you said to me before we hit record that you started this company right out of college, right? Correct. So from then we went to college. That's where I met Gautam and Gaurav, who my co-founders, uh, partners here, and I think it's similar at college as well, Joe. We went there and I thought now we're done with books. We're done with pure exams. You got to do more of practical, but it kind of continued the same. And that's where I developed the interest on in robotics and robotics specific, uh, especially played a big role on the entrepreneurship journey, because then it was like, you got to make something. There'll be competitions at state level, national level and international level. We participated there. We won there. And suddenly it was like, you can apply technology and solve problems. And it's such a good thing. And then you start thinking around that. And then you do not have any curriculum. You do not have books that what do you want to build? So slowly start thinking about what's the problem. And then people also start looking at you. Right. So they'll come at more problems to you. So it kind of started developing in that way. I did my engineering. So in India, we call post school engineering after that, which is a bachelor's, started in electronics, and then my other co-founder did it in computer science. And then just in the final year of college, we were like, I think we know fairly well to try out using our skill to solve problems. I think that was the only thing that we wanted to do. Got offered in multiple companies and probably thought this world is always open, you can go back. But maybe let's just try solving problems. So when did you start the company? What year? So 2013 is when I started Farai. Before this four years, we were into robotics, training students into robotics. So I went across, I think, almost 10, 15,000 students. We taught on how do you build robots. And it's fascinating because when you build some machine of yourself and you see it moving on the ground, it is such a great feeling. I can't tell you. Was that a business or was that just a charity or how was that organized, the training of robotics so we ran that as a business it wasn't really a no profit sort of a thing but we were kind of bootstrapping so that's how we built some capital and then we 
as we were kind of going through transportation and logistic industry is one which really fascinated and we had one of these i think journalists who kind of spent some time with us and then the next day the article we read in the newspaper is three guys trying to solve problems of common men and women and then these guys transporters came in and said look we've got our vehicles moving the cost is very high we can't track it and we can't optimize it and we were like let us try solving it so we started fundamentally spent some time with them then i started going to events and conferences because i didn't work anywhere and i didn't knew the core of logistics industry or any other industries so i used to spend time with the founders and ceos of those companies and just try to learn from them what are the top problems they are trying to solve how is their business changing and what was clear is look e-commerce is coming in and coming in a very big thing the customer experience will drive business and revenue forward and it is totally dependent on it's highly dependent i would say just to correct on logistics and delivery experience so we started spending time i so the first customer that we signed up with was a large e-commerce company in india me and my, my co-founder we spent a lot of time in their warehouse and hub went out for deliveries with the driver understood exactly day to day operation and that really helped us build a good product because we knew what is in a day in a life for a driver for a dispatcher what is customer's expectation when you go out and deliver and let's say i come out and deliver to you i'm trying to upload in my app it's not happening and you really do not care about it you like i've got my product can you just kind of go from here sort of a thing right now we in so in india i, I of course we know here i'm i'm in the us i know e-commerce is a big thing here is e-commerce caught on in india to the same extent or it is lot bigger so some of these developing markets who actually leapfrogged and they kind of missed a stage so i'll tell you what i mean <laughs> so a lot of indians never went to computer and laptops they actually directly moved the direct the entry for this to mobile and smartphone so for them it was directly okay let's start the e-commerce thing or for example instead of the entire banking thing a lot of them moved directly to wallets interesting so digital payment was per- so e-commerce is extremely big logistics is super what's well, a huge market too <laughs> it's a huge market right you're talking about how many uh, people in new delhi population. so new delhi like india's population itself is about 135 crores so new delhi is actually a lot more than few states together in us sometimes that's how kind of relate when i right. it's extremely complex it's extremely price sensitive as well so people don't want to pay deliveries were generally free or at a very subsidized cost people don't want to pay for delivery returns are free and returns are also picked from your homes so you don't need to go out and drop somewhere and then the further complexity is like here in the states we still deliver the products outside the home if it's not super ex- but in india every product is handed over to you as the customer so you need to be there otherwise it's a repeat attempt or a failed delivery and with such thin margins i think that really taught a lot building a platform which is super scalable solving the for the most complex market in the world and which was completely non standardized so every company had its own operations and their own process so me and my co-founder we were like look this way we cannot scale what do we do and i call it sometimes advantages of disadvantages so we started in a market which was extremely price sensitive super complex and completely unorganized slash non standardized so we had to eventually build our own programming language 
or logis- like what we call it is a, lo- a BPM engine, which helps you set your processes with just few clicks. So I don't need to change the product for your operation processes. You can automate them and you can build excellence and you can continue innovating every month or every quarter. So you learned, okay, this is a better way of doing pickups. It can reduce our cost. So you just change the process. And now when we scale ourselves to outside India and Europe and US, people really love that workflow BPM tool and the flexibility and ability to digitize their manual processes along with getting into invisibility. And that just became a super, and we never built it as a USP. We built it because we wanted to scale and we wanted our customers to be able to use the tool. Right. You know, you mentioned the advantage of disadvantages. The Japanese automakers, they had a very small market and and they're on a, they're on a little island with no natural resources. Very difficult to build the vehicles for their market, but they got really good at lean. They and they got very lean. That was also part of their culture. They lived in small place, smaller relative to here. Now you contrast that with the U.S. automakers at the time, with very huge country, lots of natural resources. Been doing it the same way for a long time. Nobody else competes. And also, when the Japanese got there, it was like they're from a different planet in terms of quality and processes. And it took a while for the U.S. automakers and I would say also the European automakers to catch up. Now, what's weird is when Korea and China started getting involved, they started that way. You know, and it's that's the that's the advantage. And you mentioned also leapfrogging. I haven't paid attention to this lately, but when I used to go to China, nobody had mobile phones. and But it took like eight months to get like a, a landline from the government. So as soon as mobile phones hit... Everyone's like, forget it. I'm not waiting eight months to get a landline. I'm going to get a mobile. So they just kind of pushed right past it. Because you, th- you, the progression would be get a landline and then switch over to mobile. A lot of people never had a, a landline. Exactly. And so I hundred and there are specifically in digital and e-commerce, the kind of technology, the transformations we have seen, Joe. So a lot of time it's about you are on landscape one and then you move to landscape two and there is time frame needed for it there's a change management and then some users switch some don't like in india when demonetization was done most of them didn't had bank a lot of people didn't had bank accounts in rural india so they directly moved to wallets like i'll tell you and i hear from so many folks here who travel to india and us and they're like every single place there is a qr code and you can scan and just pay we've never seen wallets so much anywhere else in the world. China is the other example. So I think that ways, uh, that really helped us build it. Like I'll give you an example. One of our customers, which was a large pizza chain, they used, they promised that we'll deliver in 30 minutes or else the pizza is free. Now, as a school, in school and in engineering, I really love that brand because sometimes I can get that pizza for free. But I never knew later in my life, I'll be partnering with them to solve problems for them as well. I'm about 20 minutes from their headquarters over here. They're in Ann Arbor. Fantastic. So we went there, we met them, and I was so fascinated with the way they had built optimizations and control in operations. And for us to be able to create value to them, their technology needs to be 10 times ahead. And that really helped us build a super robust platform, super flexible, a lot of our customers uses us because they can work with Farai across different markets. 
because each market has its own nuances and you can customize it. You can have own processes uh, to individual markets as well. Right. By the way, speaking of using disadvantages to your advantage, Domino's, when they started, they started, I think, in Ann Arbor, but they didn't have a very big restaurant. So they were having a problem getting people in. And so they decided, let's start delivering pizzas. <laughs> and, that, and, and, and then they were very close to just saying, we're only going to sell one kind of pizza. And actually, Tom Monahan said this many times. He says, I almost got to the place many times in my business where I said, you can have a pizza. It's going to be pepperoni and cheese, nothing else. No, no other choices. And maybe just a cheese pizza or either because the customization takes time and it takes away from the speed. But anyway, let's switch gears a little bit. So you started this business in India and then were you successful there and then moved to the, what was the second country you moved to? Yeah, so we started up in India and the, the way I looked at it is let's get the best brands who are, to sign up for the platform and to get value because that's how you you start getting a lot more trust on what your platform can do. So companies who had few tens of thousands of drivers, we partnered with them, really get their operations scalable, predictive and reach to a stage where customers, like where brands can offer predictive time slot before the order is purchased, right? So you go online, you can just select a time slot and that's dynamic, that's not static, that's considering optimization, that's considering lesser vehicles as well. It's, and a lot of these are users actually moved across companies from India, they moved to Southeast Asia, and then they moved to Middle East. So you didn't have a choice. <laughs> I didn't. Have, so these users reached back and saying that, look, we moved to this company. The operations are similar. Why don't you work with us? And I'm not kidding, Joe. I actually didn't even have a passport when I started Farai. So I was like, India is a large market. We'll work here. We'll grow here. And then I went to my investors and I said, look, we've got some opportunities outside. I just don't know where should we focus and all. It's like, if the problems are same and industry you are specific with, the market is global and maybe you should explore. So then we went to Dubai, Singapore, like Middle East and Southeast Asia, work with the e-commerce, logistics and retailer brands, uh, furniture, big and bulky there. That So first stage was probably, I would say, scaling in Asia for the next couple of years. Then we raised a couple of rounds. And then we started with Europe and US uh, very recently. That also was started with our same customers itself. They said, look, you're solving problems for here. Why don't you solve us for the other regions? So that's how we, the first time I came to US, actually came to Chicago itself, met the same customer. They showed us their operation. We partnered with them. The users loved the platform. They were like, this is, I think they were already using something. They, I think they were already using something. And then they saw that we are 5 to 10x ahead from what they have. So they switched to Farai and started using it, which was such a great feeling. And so I think for us, it was more of natural progression with our customers, scaling in different markets, giving us an opportunity, we validating that, and just working in steps, and then going into some more customers, then building a local team, and then growing ourselves. Last year, uh, we raised $100 million from TCV and Dragoneer. Wow. Who'd you raise it from? A TCV and Dragoneer, both uh, US investors. And that's where we get a lot more capital. And we see that the problem is huge and problem is global because customers want deliveries which are efficient, low cost, 
and now slowly it's getting more sustainable as well. And I wanted to democratize the delivery experience. It cannot be limited to one or two companies. Every single business should be able to democratize a great delivery experience and provide it to their customers. That's the vision and dream we started with. And that's how so I built up a team here in US, I think now one and a half years ago, but I moved a few months back, as I recently said. So now we almost operate in all global markets. Most of our customers partner with us across multiple markets. They generally start small with one geography, one business unit. Then they see the value of the platform. They like the team. And then they slowly grow from there across different markets. So how many countries are you in? So we would have like our customer base is actually almost in 50 countries now. Wow. Congratulations. That's fantastic. So I I, I always think as you were talking about expanding that it would be helpful as you expand to, all, especially Southeast Asia and Dubai and places like that, but especially maybe U.S. also is so many overseas Indians who are in business and in technology. It's almost like you have a, an entree. <laughs> and uh, you mentioned you have an engineering degree. I, I teased some of my friends here who are Indian. I said, are your parents upset that you just have an engineering degree and not a doctor too? <laughs> <laughs> they said they they want both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. So I think in India, about 20 years ago, so ID services companies really built that foundation. And now suddenly you have so many folks who are talented. So you can actually scale your teams really well. And come, folks have worked in IT, not now, but last 20 to 50 years. So they right. understand the process, they understand the quality, they understand the tools. And But I think most of the places now what we see is, uh, so I think there's been so many movement, and which is for the good, that you have almost all types of folks across every single company. A lot of these companies have offices also in India. Indians have moved across as well. So the other Asians and Europeans as well. So most of the com- customers we interact with, it's culture where you have people across. And that's what we've built at Farai as well. Yep. We've a large local team in America. We built a great team in Europe as well. We have few folks from India to move here, a few folks from here to move there. Because culture is the core part. And we need to continuously learn and grow there. Yep. I'm, I had lots of friends who I worked with who are originally from India who moved back to India. Some have moved back and forth because they said there's just so much opportunity happening in, in the developing markets. So let's talk a little bit more about what Farai is. So you mentioned it's a, a platform, a technology platform, which by the way, I, I, this comes up on my podcast every once in a while. In the olden days, we had software, but it wasn't customer facing. It was always something we used for our back office, for our HR, for our own, we would send emails or we'd have our own systems, but it didn't have to be intuitive. It didn't have to be attractive. It didn't have to be something a customer ever saw. Now with a platform like this, your customers, they're actually using your software. And so it has to have that same look and feel as Amazon or Zillow or DoorDash, it has to feel that good or they aren't going to use it. Am I correct? That is absolutely correct. And so I think, look, if you look at the e-commerce or in general, the retail world, it's changed dramatically in the last decade. And now specifically during COVID, post-COVID, the present era, whatever we call it, it's still work in progress, COVID, I don't know. Hopefully it's not. Hopefully that's all history sort of a thing. You have consumers which are 
online and offline both most of us are kind of hybrid slash omni channel the way we call it so for brands which are growing they need to be present across it can't be either or sort of a thing is what we feel and that's where their experience like you used to go to a store they've invested so much in that store where the product needs to be placed who will speak with you the kind of training but what happens in an online world you come to the website you place the product that experience so the loyalty which used to be developed by going into the store again and again is somewhere getting lost and that's why most of our customers we speak with they like we want to provide this great delivery experience to build customer loyalty well, if you're competing with amazon you have no choice they've raised that bar the expectation for same day next day is there now and we're seeing a, a fundamental change where the inventory is moving closer to consumers and i don't think we need same day next day for everything i think we'll we'll get better at that figure out what what needs to be delivered overnight what has to be maybe bundled for the next week <laughs> i think we're going to have to train consumers on that and we're going to have to figure out returns at some point because there's too many returns that are happening it is it's moved to a double digit now if you just look at total uh, penetration of just the retail so e-commerce will be about 30 to 40% of total like online will be 30 to 40% of total retail depending upon like i'm just taking averaging across verticals and out of which almost one third is returns so we're talking about 10 to 12% of total goods getting returned and you know this is the reality we wanted to make it real simple we wanted people to accept it so if i was to sell something to kashel and that you say i want to buy a pair of shoes you order them in size 9 10 and 11 you try try them on go yeah i'm still a 10 and then you send the 11 and the 9 back and you don't think anything of it cuz it's free i think we have to do better i still say like the brands have to do better with sizing i bought some shoes that didn't fit and i think i had three different sizes i ultimately didn't buy from them they i returned three pair you could have just sized my foot it's not that hard right <laughs> but anyway so you have this technology platform now what about you don't have carriers work for you do you have networks how's the net how do you engage engage with the networks you don't develop those do you yeah so we don't have carry like we are more of technology and saas platform but we have a large carrier network which is part of the platform and plus we are integrating continuously with new service providers as well so we see multiple shifts happening in the market jo so one i think more more and more the brands are trying to offer multiple delivery options to consumers because some wanted now some wanted same day next day or a specific slot so i don't think as a business you have an option that i'll do this and not do this right. because eventually your customers are across and so one is ability to offer multiple delivery options to your consumers and you need to educate them on sustainability on being more efficient but sometimes you need some products at that specific time frame itself and they want to win that the second is we seeing the other shift like as companies are maturing their e-commerce and online businesses they starting with a hybrid delivery fleet as well so some parts of the world or some regions they have their own and there's a large part where they work with third party but here's the constraint they want to offer the same delivery experience irrespective its own or third party fleet so they have started partnering with smaller 
and more local service providers as well. I think which wasn't the case. There were very few. They used to work with super large ones. But now there are multiple options which exist. There are a few hundreds and thousands of service providers in just United States of America. So just like rebuilding that network and just look at the power if you can, as a brand, work with any and every single service provider which has the operations across the states of America. It helps you with cost. It helps you get more coverage. And then there's an orchestration engine which does this decision-making intelligently. So it looks at customer options. It looks at driver's and the operator's capacity. And then also looks at performance. And it ties together to make the best decision for that specific order to be delivered to you, to your home or to your office, to your business. So I think that's a... It's a. It's not a one side. It's a three-dimensional problem. One is about capacity. The because the capacities are reducing. No one now wants to become a driver. We have a wave of autonomous vehicles, but still it's a journey. The other side, you have complexity from the delivery options, and then the, on the third side, you have customer, which is getting good experience in some platforms. So if you don't give it, maybe they'll choose your product but they'll choose at a different website. They'll go to amazon.com or some other companies. And then you are losing customer loyalty. Customers do not know you directly. And slowly your market share starts reducing. You know, it's interesting uh, when the COVID hit, we had all of these, the gig economy stepped in and I, I had stuff ordered by shipped. I've told the story before on my podcast. So shipped would deliver my groceries. I wanted to return some Diet Coke. I went over there to Meyer which is uh, like Walmart here in the Midwest, went to Meyer said, I got this Diet Coke yesterday. I don't want it. It was caffeine free. Who would want that? And they said, when did you buy it? I said, well, it was bought by shipped yesterday. Or I bought yesterday. And they said, what's your customer number? I gave it to them. I wasn't in their system. And I realized I'm no longer a Meyer customer. I'm a shipped customer. And then I've come to learn that they Meyer might have lost money on that transaction. So I think what we're seeing grocery stores, and by the way, one of the things that's changing with e-commerce, maybe you're seeing this, is groceries are moving into that space. And so like in the past, we would order something with the idea that I want that, uh, I need a new chair, and I don't care if it comes in the next 10 days. Now I'm ordering groceries or diapers or something that I want very soon. So I think we're going to see logistics and companies like yours, yours move in and drive some efficiency, but also... Brands or retail locations aren't going to say we've built these billion dollar brands. Now we're going to lose money on business. They're going to build a solution that makes sense. And maybe it's using a solution like yours. You're absolutely correct. And saying we'll, we'll get we'll get some drivers, but they might even be wearing our our shirts or our our hats or whatever. And it'll be very clear that it's a Meyer experience because they're not going to just. I think the gig economy is great. It just has to be managed and it has to be for some companies. It's not going to be, you can't have an inconsistency where they say, Oh, we don't have any drivers for that. No, it has to be a consistency. And absolutely. Joe, and that's where I'll, I'll probably go back to something I said earlier today, which is that's why I strongly believe that every retailer, every e-commerce company needs to be a logistics company. Yep. That's fundamental today. And the reason is, if you don't do it, 
you lose margins, which is more short term hitting your PNL today, but you're losing the customer. If customer is moving to other platform, they are getting more products and more advertisements, which is competitive to your brand. So you suddenly are not the top brand or the loyal customer base. And that is eventually shipped is going to shipped is going to send me eventually. I'm, I, I'm predicting this. They'll send me an email saying, Joe, get $80 off your first order with shipped. And it won't be, it'll be from a fulfillment center. I'm not sure about shipped, but that's most of the the way these companies are growing it. And that's where we feel like a platform. And that's why I kind of relate this, not just as a You don't business, compete against but them. More of a, <laughs> but more as, absolutely. And it's more of a cause and a purpose that brands would need to own customer and to own the customer, you need to own the delivery experience. Yes. And that's where I think platforms like Farai are super helpful. They empower them to not build their own fleet only. They can work with every single service provider, but control the delivery experience. Yes, yes, yes. So who do you sell to? Do you, who's your main customers? Who's your sweet spot? Yeah, so we focus on three categories as a core market share. So first is e-commerce and retailers, uh, retailers who are trying to get into online, already into online at certain maturity curve or pure play e-commerce companies. The other is big and bulky, and maybe I'll just define big and bulky. These are companies which is into furniture, electronics, mattress, and these are complex, large set of goods, and most of them are delivered to home. Now here, suddenly logistics is a, such a big core part of their business because you want to go online and you want to buy a furniture you want to know the slot because it can't be delivered outside your home. So you want to know, can you come Saturday morning, 11 to 1? Right. Because maybe you need to go at 1 p.m. outside for your friend. So that's the other vertical. And the third is logistic service providers themselves. Because they were traditionally not into super competitive pressure or not into parcel. So they need strong technology, AI, ML, to optimize their routes, to have drivers deliver more and make it more predictive. So we like we essentially build that entire data network for each of our customers where you break logistics into fundamentally data. Who's your customer? What's their preference? What's the behavior? What time of the day? What days of the week is Joe at home? Joe's office address. And then the other side is what's the logistic pattern? What time of the day you should dispatch? How many stops per hour? What's What does good efficiency looks like? Where are you from the benchmark perspective? Which are the areas you can work with third party? How do you work with hundreds and thousands of third party service providers? Because it's tough to integrate, it's tough to manage. And we become just one shop which just integrates and manages everything and then provide you intelligence over that where based on performance, you can choose the right service provider. And so they can bring their own their own carriers, but they can also, you already have a network development. Exactly. So they might say, Gishal, thank you for your network, but we already have ours or we they, were, they could vet within yours for specific skills or capabilities. Absolutely. I feel, uh, and I 100% feel that, look, logistics is competitive advantage, but network will also become competitive advantage because we're seeing that, right? Uh, the rates are increasing in every six months, right? So, and there are cost pressures, driver are less so, and your margins are lower, Customer wants shorter. So it's it's somewhere a difficult problem. And the right way is to actually partner with more and more service providers 
and fundamentally own the delivery experience because the customer is yours. And if the customer is not yours, you're actually a manufacturer. You're not really a retailer in that scenario. Right. So I want to switch gears again here. So Kushal, you started this company in 2013 with your partners. You guys are now in 50 countries, employees all over the place. Now you've moved all the way from India to Chicago. If you could go back and give yourself advice, so the Kashal from 2014 will say, what advice would you give yourself? How many do you want? And don't give yourself bad advice either. <laughs> Look, I would say some of the things which we used to do then and used to do now is when maybe I'll share that and some of the things which I've learned over a period of time, right? So for us, the excitement was always to solve our customer problem and customer has been fundamentally stayed core to us from the very first day. I think that's the same thing I would ask every single business to do. Some, and I think somewhere in software, you get moved a little up and down. I think that customer centricity and focus is the core. They, it's their problem and they're living it every single day. I don't think they can tell you the solution, but if you can understand the problem, you can build the best solution for them. I think the other thing... I started focusing that later was building a good quality team. I think I never, like I I knew we had to build a team, but I thought we could scale for longer and then we'll need to get leaders and decision makers later in the journey. I think that's one thing I'll probably go back and say, look, if you have good leaders in your team, you can actually scale faster and you don't need to take every single decision. That's the other thing right. which I would think I would say to myself when I was there. Now we've got a great set of leaders, CXOs across the company, in product, in revenue, in finance, in operations, across. We had that conversation before we hit record is if you force yourself to delegate, then you're also force yourself to hire good people. So if you say, I'm pushing this, these decisions are no longer mine. And you say, well, I didn't hire good people. Well, okay, go back and hire good people so you can say these decisions don't need to be on my uh, on my desk every day. Absolutely. And I think the other thing which uh, I've learned over a period of time is, look, I think sometimes we spend a lot of time in making some decisions. And I think here I fundamentally agree with the Amazon slash Zephyrsaurus theory. Like a lot of those decisions are reversible. So probably make that decision and move faster and you learn with that. I think sometimes we kind of saying we need to be either here or there. Sometimes the answer is being more pragmatic and just learning each day and not really trying to figure out the entire path. You, you need to be focused towards your vision. I think path would change and you will learn more about it. So it's better to move forward than to actually think it what will work, what will not work sort of a thing. Well, what's interesting is most people who start businesses have already worked a lot of places and they've seen the right way, the wrong way, but but they've also been employees, right? Which is not a bad thing, but you've learned different behaviors. It's interesting how you and your partner started right from right from school. And so in a lot of ways, you didn't have to unlearn some bad habits, but you uh, also had to learn some, probably some difficult lessons along the way. <laughs> So for me, it was all learning and that's the same thing. It goes today as well. Like they never teach you in any school or college how to build a good business, 
how to build a good culture, how to grow that, right? So you kind of learn it every single day and try to do it. I think the good thing for us was we knew we don't know it. So we need to learn. So it just gets your head in the right direction <laughs> that you don't know it and you accept it. So it's easier for you to see it on the other hand and learn with it. Like I spend a lot of time with the founders and CEOs who are earlier in the journey, who are later in the journey, who've kind of built the business, who made it, taken it to IPO. And for me, it's a lot about learning from everyone's journey. There's so many good and bad mistakes. We all do it. And if you can learn it across, I think that's just the best way to accelerate. Yeah, excellent. I love those. I love that. I love that answer. So answer this in any order you want. What's next for you? What's next for Farai? And what's next for this industry? Yeah, so I'll stand for the industry. I think it's where my love is uh, to my customers and to the industry. I think we're seeing that wave. I said it earlier as well. Brands and businesses owning the customer. They've gone through multiple stages. I think now it's the reality. They understood logistics is not really a cost function. It's a revenue function. I think the next is, I'll say maybe more simply, businesses and companies need to become logistic company. They need to know how you deliver is also important. It's not just about what you deliver. So ability to build those logistic networks and own the experience, I think that's something which will drive for next couple of years as a big differentiator and a survival. I think what does that mean for us for as far as is, we should be able to help them accelerate that path and move that quickly. So we have different companies at different stage. We have multiple maturity, like the technology maturity and industry maturity phases as well. So we partner with our customers and help them move to the next stage and to the next stage uh, as early as possible. So we set up a good team and business in US and Europe. I think what I'm looking right now is to kind of create impact for more, like for a few hundreds of businesses this year who we can partner and help them achieve better delivery and better logistics for their customers. For me, just to kind of connect that, I think it's staying staying focused on the path and learning each day. Excellent, excellent. Well, it is interesting. We had a time where everybody said, I'm going to sell on Amazon and Amazon will manage all that. And now we're seeing very big brands, Nike, Allbirds, different brands that are saying, no, thank you. I don't want to be, I don't want Amazon managing my customer experience because they think they're Amazon customers, not Nike customers. I think smaller brands are being pushed out of Amazon for other reasons because they, they don't have maybe the right makeup to be part of the Amazon sellers, right? So I think the requirement for the industry, and you're one of those companies that's doing it, is saying, we'll help you have that same experience, but you can have more control. And just as we talked about um, Instacart or Shipt, they are potentially competitors against Kroger and Meyer and the companies they deliver for. So I think we're starting to see companies, by the way, Shipt is owned by Target. So that tells you something about where their mindsets are at. Excellent. So before we wrap this bad boy up, what's new with Farai? Uh, are you guys attending some conferences? What, what's what's new over there? Yeah. So look, we'll be there at the Gartner Supply Chain conference happening in June. I think I'll be excited to, if you guys are there and the listeners are going to meet you guys there. But otherwise, we run a lot of webinars and sessions. I think I'm spending a lot of time with the industry leaders here in the region, just trying to understand where they are, how they're moving forward. And to the same point, Joe, you mentioned like they've some like it needs to be clarity that who owns the customer. 
everyone cannot own the same customer for the same product. So you need to be clear either you own the customer or someone else owns the customer for you. I'm not going to hire anybody who owns my customer, trust me. <laughs> and so I'm spending time with a lot of businesses in general, kind of helping them with the path itself. So I love for folks who kind of reach out, they can come to a website as well, drop us on LinkedIn or Twitter, active across social media. I put all those links in the show notes. I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile, link to Farai, any other links you give me, case studies. And any sort of marketing assets, I'll put a link in the show notes. And one last thing, Michelle. So what's, uh, you just moved here. What, what's, what, what surprised you about moving to the U.S.? Yeah, so it was a lot easier than I actually thought, Joe, was the biggest surprise for me. Like things are fairly well-defined, well-structured, very well-organized. So just to get the apartment, get the furniture, get everything set up, I thought it would be a complicated and cumbersome and It'll need more people to help me do that. I could just do that in a few days by a few hours. And I was extremely happy. I think the way the place is organized here, it's just a big, super happy surprise. I get it. Excellent. Well, we're happy to have you. So thank you so much, Kashel, for taking the time. I really enjoyed talking to you today. Thank you, Joe. And I'll ask all your listeners, next time when you order online, you don't get a slot. Do drop them a note that there's far which can help them get a delivery start on their website. Exactly. Thank you so much, Kashel. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn.